So I recorded this really lovely interview with my dear friend, Jess DeVries, and unfortunately, in the recording, my audio didn't come through. So her audio all came through great, and what I'm going to try to do is edit the show in such a way that I can sort of like just barely hear my bits in our interview and I'm going to try and re-record those and splice them in uh, with her commentaries enough that it makes sense Uh, but that's yeah that's what we're going to try and do here. Hi Jess it's really nice to see you today Uh, for the sake of everyone who is listening who's not me do you mind introducing yourself and what it is that you do? Um, my name is Jess DeVries. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I live in Portland, Oregon on Clackamas and Cowlitz land. And I am a somatic sex educator, sexological body worker, sex coach still figuring out a word that's shorter (laughs) to describe the work that I do. Um, I support people in sexual wholeness, I guess is probably the best way to do that. Um, Yeah, and I like doing lots of creative shit and being around plants. So that's me in a small small nutshell. (laughs) Thank you for telling us about what it is that you do. Now, for the sake of this show, things that we try to focus on as much as there's a focus. I'm not, I'm not really committed to that. Um, but is this idea of like imagining into what if in, you know, a projected future that we would like to see, uh, there is a version of things where your basics are covered. You don't have to worry about being able to pay rent or buy groceries, like basic food security, housing security, that sort of thing is taken care of. So then what does your days look like? Like, what is it? How is it that you fill your time? Um, And maybe that's the same. And I don't know, would you go into that a little bit? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I honestly like with the exception of having more sex, (laughs) like doing what I'm doing now, which is supporting people with their sexual wholeness, napping, being creative and growing things and spending time with people that I love. Like that's what I want to do with my life. Um, And it's funny to be asked that question today because I have a client who is late on pain for their session. And I was like, oh, and if all of my needs are met, like I wouldn't have to deal with the like the task of collecting and the annoyance and what is starting to be resentment <laughs> of like, this is you paid for the service of my knowledge, except for that you haven't paid. (laughs) Um, And like how much, 
as an anxious brain, like how much of my brain space would be free to just be in creativity and be in connection with my community um, instead of tasks. <laughs> uh. So like a big part of it would be that the financial administration of this job wouldn't carry over, is that right? It wouldn't carry over, and it also, like, I sit in the the frustration and the question of, like, the going rate for the services that I offer is, it's a high price point, and everyone deserves access, and I also need to be cared for, <laughs> and because money is the way that we get our needs met right now, um, because we need to buy food and we need to buy housing and all of that. Um, I can't serve in the way that I would like to um, in the current situation. So <clears throat> it would also mean that like all it has to be is a good fit to work with me versus like a good fit and also you can afford it. Um, and that just feels in my little <laughs> Libra heart of hearts, like the most equitable, like everybody gets their needs met, um, space. So. So, I mean, for you in the United States, there's even sort of this added layer of, uh, inequity and access disparity, but you know, from the context where I am in Canada, you know, at least we have some of the basics uh, around healthcare and that sort of things. You know, the basics are covered, um, but we still do have a situation where, you know, the things that are considered sort of more holistic, alternative, um, sort of extended healthcare, um, those are still sort of treated as some amount of like a luxury product. Um, and so we have this question about like, you know, who gets to afford to be well and to access, uh, you know, this sort of care that, that does reach a bit deeper. Um, and I wondered if you would speak to that a bit. These questions are so timely because I'm thinking um, about the class that you and I were just in on like pelvic dearmoring and like how that is in my in my professional opinion like that's a precursor to everything that potentially happens in my work that like the body has to feel safe enough to be able to look at things, be able to be like more pleasure or just pleasure question mark. Um, and the process of that is so slow. And then that means it takes more time. It takes more funds. <laughs> um, and then it also takes the context of like, do you just have general time and funds and safety in your life to like welcome that in do you have communities to support you after you start to welcome that like softening um in your body around your sex in um 
yeah, so like it's it's um it's <laughs> it's so big. Um and like ultimately like most of the requests I get are from cishet men who have money to spare. Um, a lot of them who want full service sex work, which is not something that I currently do, which is a higher price point. And so they're also coming at me as like, I'm the budget person. Like I'm the, <laughs> I'm, you know, the inexpensive version of what they're um, trying to purchase services for. Um, yeah, it's so it's an interesting like, power and money and taking care of getting your needs met and um, ultimately like who feels like they're entitled to this type of healing and pleasure and who doesn't feel entitled or doesn't even know that they like entitled has like such a bad like negative context but it's like everyone's entitled to having pleasure like that's part of being <laughs> like in these bodies with nerve endings and genitals and like senses and but some people get taught that they're not entitled to that and other people get taught that they should get that all the time um and everything in between yeah in my breakout group we got into some of the parts of this of like you know how if you live with pain in your body, being present is just more complicated. And the realities of all the layers of like healthcare and economic and wellness disparity is that if you're poor, marginalized in other ways, like the likelihood that you are living with pain in your body is already higher. Um, plus these layers of like feeling not deserving of wellness or care, you know, there's, there's a part of this idea of, you know, this potential future that we're imagining into where it changes who you can work with and like how you can do that without needing to collect and everything but we're also imagining into this idea on a, on a really broad like universal scale where it changes this for everybody because you know a, a part of what keeps these ideas going about being undeserving of our body's birth rate um you know, it is scarcity economics. Like, you know, how can you afford to spend time getting into your body between multiple jobs, kids, relationships, whatever? Um, just, you know, it's, you don't have time, let alone the money to, you know, hire someone to help you do that, right? So I wonder if you have observations from your work that sort of help illustrate some of the ways that our current economy further disempowers people or gets in the way of accessing holistic wellness yeah I think it's the like the scarcity of like when it's the scarcity of I don't have enough funds to do this right so when I explain <clears throat> you know someone's like oh well my penis doesn't work the way that I want to it's like well that's not a like three session and done thing or like I ex I experience pain when I have penetration in my vagina. It's like well, okay, and like that's a that's a long process. And so then immediately it's like oh I can't afford that. There's more clench. There's more like 
that I'm, I'm never going to get I'm quote unquote fixed, but like, like the, the capacity for hope diminishes, um, in those situations. And it, a lot of times causes, like if people do want to, they try to push past where their body wants to go in any given time, which like, sometimes that's helpful. Like sometimes we might need a little nudge, but most of the time it's not helpful at all. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, the speed of trust is not the speed of what I can afford. Yeah, or the speed of what you want or what, like, your partner wants for your body or um, that you only have the possibility to do one session a month just because you're so busy. So then that, like, even lengthens out the time for, like, the possibility of change. Um, So it, like, there's a lot. (laughs) Um, A lot there. Um, and I think there's also something to be said of like the fear of, and again, if we're in this beautiful imaginary world where like food and housing and healthcare needs, like all of like our basic human rights are met, there is more space and ability to fall apart, which I think this work in particular, like really pokes at our shit. (laughs) You know, and it's like, okay, like, if I don't have a safe, warm home to go to with a full fridge, like, where it's easy to access food because I now need to, like, cry for two days, like, that's also, (laughs) you know, it's like, oh, no, now I, like, I had this opening and now I have to stuff it in again because I have to go to work and I have to, like, parent my children and I have to, um put on a happy face for my partner or like whatever whatever it might be um but just having those things there eases that up a little bit so this kind of touches something that we've gotten into in some of the other episodes of this show the way that even by capitalism's own standards like it just doesn't add up it doesn't make sense like if you don't have space to have small breaks and repair that instead it just builds and builds and builds to a point where you're broken in a way that you can't just like pull it back together like if you don't have the resources to recover enough to get back to work because you're too far gone you can't find your way back to to shared reality like if you can't show up for regular scheduled maintenance um it's gonna be a bigger problem like it could be analogous to how like if you don't do the basics like changing the oil in your car um then the bottom of your engine is just going to drop out so there's this like supposed financial perspective that says that offering people care and services is expensive but that's bullshit like offering people the things that they need to be well means that they will be able to participate more fully over a longer period of time it costs less to house people than it does to police folks living in parks yeah, or to provide health care instead of pay for ER visits when things get so bad. Yeah, and, you know, building on that, nurses will tell you, like, if you're already in pain, like, good luck catching it and being able to control it. Whereas if you can bring pain management tools on before 
it's really far gone, it's going to be a lot easier to manage it. Like your dosages can be lower, side effects lessened, etc. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think about period pain. It's the same thing. It's like if you take one or two ibuprofen knowing that it's coming versus like waiting till it's there and it's like, well, now it's never going to go away. Or that that need to, the, the attempts to catch it, like it, it has increased risks that come along with it. Like, especially if people are self-medicating or trying to find the tools on their own. Cause you know, like you feel like you can't afford to get help with it or whatever, like the more accessible late option, like it comes with much greater risks. Yeah. Or the shame of like, I can't ask for help with this. Okay. Let's run with that because I feel like there there's huge ways in like your work or huge parts of of what it is that you do that really come back to um to shame so let's let's dive into that a little bit i'm gonna throw out like an inaccurate percentage but i'm gonna say like 85 percent of my work is that like is really just like sitting with people and their feelings of shame around their body, their orgasm or lack of orgasm, their relationship status or lack of relationship status, their the things they think in their head that they don't think anybody else will find hot or attractive or <laughs> or that they just think are disgusting and despicable. Um, and then starting to pull that pull that apart. I don't even know if it's pulled that apart. I think it's mostly just like offering like a soft place for that to come out and to not like to be received with love, I think is probably like the best way to word that. Um, and then like beyond that, like celebrated, like, oh, like that's fun and interesting. Like what? <laughs> What do we do with that? Why do you think, you know, these types of bodies are attractive? Or why do you think, um, like, what is it about humiliation play that, like, really gets you excited? Or what, like, what does porn do for you? Like, let's celebrate all the good things it does for you. Um, and just that, like, <laughs> like, surprise and shock of, like, oh, this thing that I thought was really shameful and scary and should be kept tucked away, like, actually gets to be celebrated and enjoyed um, and can be done in community. Like, I mean, in, in session, it's a community of two, like, it's me and them. But, like, that's like, oh, well, maybe there's somebody else out there that I can talk to about this. So... Right. So, I mean, as someone who lives with the support of these like non-universal means-tested social support structures, I'm very aware of the ways that layers of shame are applied, like the nature of going on welfare, unemployment or applying for subsidies and that sort of thing. It, just in how they're set up and administered, um, it's really hard to dodge the shame. Like, the layers of surveillance, the structures of power between people administering help and those who need to access it. So I have a curiosity if you have observations from your work. When we're carrying shame, 
what does that do or what does that look like in our bodies? I'll speak to like my body. <laughs> um, yeah, like for me, it is a, like, I feel like I'm pulling in on myself. I feel very small. Um, I often get like hot coals in the throat kind of feeling. Um, it's funny because there's usually something that happens like in my stomach. And right now my stomach's like, I'm not participating in this discussion. <laughs> so there's also something that happens in my stomach area. Um, and I think like part of being in session with folks is like helping them notice what shame, what the physiological responses of shame are in their own bodies. Cause I think there's obviously similarities cause humans are made up of the same, <laughs> the same junk, um, the same the materials, but everybody's experience of how that like feels or the way that they name it is different. Once you've got an idea of like, what's happening in the body or maybe like maybe body's not the like the end point maybe the end point is like the messages that you have in your head right like maybe we don't want to be in our bodies let's go neck up <laughs> and be like well what are what here I am like yesterday I was for some reason when I reapplied to get my food benefits it didn't process through so I didn't get my my food benefits for January and I was like oh that's not good because <laughs> um, I'm not making much income um, right now and going through the like, well, you obviously like didn't send in the paperwork correctly or you didn't do this correctly. And like, <clears throat> and it goes back for me, it goes back to like you, if you are not good enough, you deserve to be punished. Like if you don't do things right, you're going to be punished. And so like, if we know what the the wordings or the feelings or where maybe it's a person or whatever that like that's coming from starting to have like ways to I was gonna say combat and I don't want to use that word <laughs> but like counter what what those are saying and so like Again, and in my case, in this particular case, it was like I was filling out that paperwork three days after I'd been in a car accident. So like on top of everything, like I also had just had a trauma <laughs> and I still was like, I didn't like total up my, my income for the year. <laughs> what was I thinking? I'm like, you weren't thinking because you like, you were very hurt and we're dealing with a small brain injury. <laughs> um, and still like sitting on that phone with the person who was very kind, like in Oregon, for the most part, everyone I've dealt with has been very kind with receiving public benefits, but like, it still is like, am I not going to get the thing that I need because I did the wrong thing and then it's all my fault. <laughs> and that like, that's my, that's my big, my big shame, <laughs> my shame bloom. Oh, that sucks and makes me think of like one of my big shame fears of like going to the grocery store getting all the things that you need and then 
getting up to the till and your magic money card like isn't magicking and instead you're getting decline and decline decline and the shame just like boils up and it's compounding where you're like oh shit someone's gonna need to put all these things away or you know even just the looks from the people who are waiting behind you in line while you're like trying every card in your wallet and it's a negative feedback loop right like every time that something like happens something like that happens or like with the increased frequency of that happening um it sort of feeds this sense of feeling like you don't deserve to eat or you don't deserve to eat the foods that feel good in your body and then you know sort of like brings up these questions of like okay well how much might i need to check out in order to be okay enough uh, with the things that I can afford or with, you know, what's available for free, what's available from the food bank or whatever. It's funny you say that because that literally happened a few days ago. Where it's like, oh, now I get to, like, was doing a big grocery shop and I was like, cool, now this all like just has to come out of what is supposed to be for other things. Um... And it was a, yeah, it was a big line. It was like, it was all of the things that you're mentioning. I'm like, ah. and then they recently in Oregon, they used to like, just pull off like what was left on your card and then be like, okay, now your, your cash or credit total is going to be this. And then a lot of the places have stopped doing that. So like, if you have $15 or whatever on your card, they'll just be like, oh, it's declined. I'm like, mm. That wasn't how it worked four months ago, but okay. There's something that I've been like thinking about a lot lately, because as an anxious anxious person, um, and like the internal chemical rush of anxiety. And how my system knows how to, like, it's a shit show, but, like, it knows how to run on that. So, like, then when things are calm, it's, like, well, like, should we go on Twitter and look at the news? Should we, like, (laughs) you know, Um, but I, like, I think about that in relation to shame and, like, shame was part of like family of origin and ways of like making sure you were a good person shame was fully a part of the church culture that i was in um and so like my body for better for worse like it feels familiar (laughs) right and so then it's like i can be doing whatever and it's like oh everything feels great and it's like like I might be like in my garden and doing what and it's like well shouldn't you be doing working on your business this is not a good use of your time you're a bad person like you're a bad business owner you're you like and prior to that like I'm connecting with the small patch of land that I live on. I'm loving on my plants. I'm enjoying the sunshine. Like my animal body is very happy. And then Shane's like, Hey, Hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, lately. Do you remember those feelings of constriction and how like comfortable they feel? Like, let's do that. <laughs> um, yeah. 
can we find a way to make this rest more productive? <laughs> I can. I'm good at that. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about a, a bit about using pleasure and rewards as a part of creating containers for facing and working with stuff that is or can be hard. Like, we're trying to imagine and ultimately, like, call into being something that feels really hard. So if there are ways that we can use the good of that to help us navigate some of what might be really hard, like, what do you think that might look like? That's a whole bunch of big questions. <laughs> um, yeah. I think... Like what I imagine, um, and like this is going from like in the <clears throat> in twenty twenty two, because we are in twenty twenty three. I had just quit a job that was really hard on my soul, um, and was like, I'm going to try to do this coaching thing full time, and then realized like I had had two or more jobs for like the last fifteen years. And my body was like, yeah, fuck you. Like, nope, 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 nope. And so I did, like, a lot of resting, a lot of dissociating and spacing out, which are two sometimes the same and sometimes separate things. <laughs> um, spent a lot, like, really fell in love with my garden. Spent a lot of time gardening. Um, and really trying to just be, like, what's the next thing that my body wants to do you know and then interspersed with like oh shit you have to make money oh like, <laughs> like these are things that happen um your needs need to be met and you are the one to meet those needs because uh, you are your own employer now <laughs> um and so like i i imagine into like that nature space that yeah maybe in our lifetime maybe not <laughs> but like if everyone could just be like what what does it feel good for my body to do next like how <laughs> as like special glorious like like what what would occur with that? Like, and how, would like people's emotional bodies changed and like their relationships change and the experience of like living in whatever place that you live, like, I don't know, I like, <clears throat> There's part of me where I'm just like <laughs> feeling like happy and blissful. And I also think it would be very like, it would kind of be a shit show for a little while. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Like, please tell me what to do. Like it feels, it feels similar to like when I left the church and it's like, there, there's no rules. There's nobody telling me what to do. So what? do I do I panic <laughs> and then I get depressed and then I get 
on the other side of that or on other sides of waves of that um yeah so like that tying that into pleasure and even just like I mean the panic and the depression come from like I don't actually know what I want to do or what my body wants to do because I've never maybe never or like had minimal chances to actually feel into that for like what is actually true for me um Yeah, I think that's where I'll leave that side of the question. <laughs> um, and then like going into the grief bit, like if we're tying again into this like ideal space where all of our needs met, we would actually have time for grief, and for ceremony around grief. And right now, culturally as a white person in the United States like I don't and I think that's true for for a lot of people um, in the United States regardless of background um, and so like part of the truth of grief is that it's like a visceral embodied experience pleasure is a visceral embodied experience and so like utilizing pleasure which is something people have generally have more like understanding around um like apples taste good and sunshine feels nice and petting a cat is comforting um and so using that as like these are ways I touch into my body can I have that be an entryway to also touch into my grief um and then on the flip side of that, like, if the grief feels overwhelming, can I titrate back towards the pleasure of, like, yes, this embodied experience of loss is, like, overwhelming, and I can hold my cat and snuggle my cat, and I can also feed myself delicious things um, if eating is something that my body wants to do in this grief process, um, and so, like, I don't know, it's kind of a swirl, like, <laughs> they inform, I've, in the past said, like, it's a kinship, like, they're, they're tied together in our bodies. Um. At this point in the recording, I could not actually make sense what I said for a few minutes, so we'll just come back to Jess at, later in the interview. <laughs> Yeah, I remember January of 2020, I had, within a week, I, a friend died, I had a breakup with a sweetie, another sweetie told me they were moving away from Portland, and then a third sweetie got fired from their job, which was like one of my safe spaces in the city, in, in, in seven days, so like, a lot of, a lot of, lot of grief and that was January, and then COVID started two months later, and I was so, like, 
<laughs> it sounds like it sounds fucked up and also like I was so relieved that like everyone else was having to deal with a bunch of shit because like I feel a lot and then to have all of those losses together is like I like I'm not functional and I'm like okay good like everybody else is gonna be not functional with me like I don't have to explain <laughs> that like I'm still allowed to be in this process for however long you know like right now we're going on three years of it but like <laughs> it just felt like oh okay like I have this like blessing of having the space to like really grieve all of these things because everyone else is distracted and doesn't want me to be normal right now or maybe they do want me to be normal but they're focused on their own trauma of the pandemic at the moment yeah it's some hope uh you know in the potential of relief that could have been possible at the start of the pandemic uh you know when we were in some ways posed with these big questions like if nobody can go to work then what this way of doing things like it obviously can't carry on and you know in order to make these kinds of like really big changes like we need benefit structures across the board um and you know like we did see some of that coming in um and you know for the most part it's like largely been peeled away and you know a lot of the things that i had hoped for and things that like you know many conversations over the years like you know sat and really talked about you know like what big shifts could look like and so you know as things were starting to shift in the beginning there like you know there was this sense of like oh it's happening like it's this this could be it like maybe we're as a society all like gonna see through the cracks in this and in this is the system's inevitable end and you know ultimately that's not really how it turned out but <laughs> nope <laughs> but what it did do was that you know it got more people thinking creatively like i i would like us to I would like to think that we have another chance to make those sorts of like really big changes within our lifetime and I mean whether or not that would be possible without a big cataclysmic horror show event again I've I don't know but you know maybe it there's bits where you know it may have to get worse before it gets better but the the way that waves of people like started pulling out of the way that we've always been doing things like you're like mm, no actually i don't want to keep on like that like maybe doing the things the way that we've always done them doesn't really make that much sense maybe we should ask some questions like not automatically just keep doing things in the same way because that hasn't really gone that well like on a lot of fronts it's kind of a disaster <laughs> i keep thinking Like, I'm in this weird place of, like, my services that I offer are a high price, like, a high price point service. And then, like, <clears throat> this fall I did have to take on some, like, extra work to make sure that I was getting my bills covered. Um, and one of those jobs is the job that I was driving for when I had my accident. 
and I'm like, okay, so my life is potentially permanently altered for sure. Like my next four months are significantly altered for a job that was paying $16 an hour. And who, when I asked what the winter weather protocol was, they said, we let the drivers decide. And so because there was no like, if there's this temperature, we don't go to this part of the city where all the hills are or whatever, like I hit black ice and totaled my car. And it's like, well, so this job that was paying me, meeting, like helping me pay my bills, but like paying me shit, not caring for their employees. No one has reached out to me other than my boss to like see if I'm okay. <laughs> Change the course of my life. Right. And it's like, well, this is, this is where so many people are like living. It's like, I had to take that job to be able to pay my bills to meet my needs. That is the story for so many people. And like, there's no care within that at all. Right. So, I mean, that makes me think of a lot of incarcerated people who are like in the system because they had to make ends meet who, you know, maybe didn't make the best choices, but in many cases, like made the best choices that they had. And, you know, we have systems that continue to profit off the labor of incarcerated people that what's keeping more and more people in that system is this like overarching scarcity that creates a need for people to do things that may be illegal because that's what they have to do to make ends meet. And I think that's actually especially true for people who are living on benefit structures where there's surveillance because if you can't receive money because you'll lose your benefits then you have to make money under the table and whether or not it's illegal work you're likely not going to have the same sort of worker protections like the refuse to or the right to refuse unsafe work like you just don't really get that so the people who don't really get to refuse unsafe work are the people who aren't really in a position to refuse work at all yeah I, my therapist gets mad at me for laughing at things that are really hard and painful. <laughs> and like, that's just like a way that my body off gases the intensity of the feeling. <laughs> I mean, I think being able to laugh at it or laugh with that instead of just being like, nope, nope, I can't. It's, it's a bit like what we were talking about earlier, like balancing pleasure and grief and, you know, being able to laugh can make it possible to be with something that you couldn't otherwise like i remember a few years ago now uh leading up to the 2016 u.s election you know i was pregnant i was watching the world theater but also like pretty upset about what seemed to be unfolding for the sake of my offspring i was gestating you know i was like it was generally feeling like pretty sensitive about all that and it got to a point where i really the only way i could take in any of that information was by watching like Samantha B or Trevor Noah because like I want to know but I really rely on the case of comedy because otherwise it's just like too devastating and then like I'm not a big travel person anyway but like in the last year people were like 
well, where exciting have you gone? I'm like, I went home to Alaska for my grandpa's funeral. And I like, and this was prior to going to Canada for training, but like, I was like, I just like spending time at home and in my yard. Like, I'd like to go to the coast more, <laughs> you know. Um, but like, it feels a lot how describing like the way that I'm queer and the way that I'm relationship anarchist I wish that was a different word but like like explaining the way that like I relate in the world to people like it also feels like the way that I'm like rest is important yeah it's like a whole other other language um but then when I had my accident last month and then because of how my body was hurt, like I couldn't sew, I couldn't garden, I couldn't cook. <laughs> and and also the chiropractor was like, yeah, I'd recommend staying off of screens as much as possible for like the next two to three weeks just because there's like minor brain stuff going on. And I was like, all right, so like the slow life that I had been enjoying now is like, you can't even like be productive and productive in that way <laughs> and I was like what is happening here I was so angry um I mean I'm still angry but like just being like oh like you got to like feel how it feels to lay in your bed or like sit on the porch with a blanket and listen to the birds talk to friends on the phone because zoom is a bad idea texting is a bad idea <laughs> and then it's like well, I talked to two friends today and now I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, and it's like just the reframe of that, of like, oh, even like you're, you're, even the slowing down and the shifting that you did last year is still like, where is the like push for goodness and push for productivity and that in the systems of pleasure and rest? That's an interesting question. <laughs> I mean, I think it's good if we start learning how to feel and be in tune with desire so that, you know, if or when we have the opportunity to stop doing things the same, same, like, you have some sense, you know, uh, should that happen, like this imaginary idea where universal benefits turn on and people need to rest, like, obviously there's a lot of people um, we're going to need to rest. But the neoliberal critique about that is that people will just like sit around and do nothing infinitely. And that's just not real. Like people may need to rest maybe for weeks or months or years even, but then lots of people with the support to recover from that burnout eventually will reach a point where like actually start to get bored. Yeah. And then what is the, like, what is the choice in that? It's like, Oh, like me, introvert and like garden like give me plants and animals and the occasional person great someone else is going to be like I want to be back behind the bar because I need to feed off that human energy and like be in that like social extroverted space um you know and innovation existed long before capitalism did <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And I, as you were talking, I kept thinking about like, as I do, tying everything back to pleasure. <laughs> um, and also because I just gave this resource to a client this week, but um, in the like, I don't know what to do with my body or like that there's, we need to be told how, you know, with sex, right? Like everyone is assumed to be straight and cis and you have sex by doing these four things <clears throat> as the story goes and nobody needs time for warm up and whatever. Um, and what is warm up anyway? In any, in any event, I'm, I'm digressing. Yeah. Yeah. So like you have people who have, if we're talking straight folks, you have people with vaginas who have pelvic pain and have a lot of like sexual dysfunction from saying yes to sex that they don't want to. People with penises who have erectile dysfunction because they're supposed to be hard all the time and they're supposed to perform and they're supposed to be the man who also have a lot of sex that they don't want to be having, but they're doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> and then all of us queers in the middle are like, we don't have a structure, which is like terrifying when you realize it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, but that means what can I do? What does this body get to do? How does it want to interact with other bodies? Um, and then in the U.S. in particular, sex ed sucks ass regardless of your gender or your sexual orientation. Like, it, it's terrible. Um, like, they're not even talking about sucking ass. No. I mean, they're, they're not even talking about, like, like, cunnilingus. <laughs> Which, again, like, patriarchy. In any event. Oh, sucking ass. Um... And so, like, Scarletine, which is a really great website that's geared towards teens, but because of the lack of sex education in my country, it's a great resource for everybody. Um, but then we go into the shame of, like, I'm 45 years old and I'm going on this website for teenagers to learn about how to, like, love my body better and have better sex. Pushing that aside... They have a yes, no, and maybe list, um, which for those that don't know is like, it's usually a kink-based thing and it's different, you know, um, activities that you want to yes, participate in, no, participate, not participate in, or maybe depends on the person, the context, you know, whatever. Um, but Scarletine has one that's like, do I want to hold hands in public? Do I want to kiss in public? Do I want to kiss with tongue, without tongue? Like, it goes all the way back to the basics of, like, we get to have choice in everything. From, like, the sweetest, simplest, you know, simplest acts of physical int intimacy, which, again, you could argue, like, people can have hot erotic experiences of holding hands. Right, depending on the connection with the person and but like giving folks the opportunity to be like like let's really pull back and like think about how does it feel in my body to think about these things or to experience these things and do I in fact want to hug other people 
do I in fact want to whatever public display of affection means to you is snuggle is snuggling something that sounds great or not you know and then working up to like do I want to put my tongue on somebody's asshole do I want somebody else's tongue on my asshole do I like which you know sometimes we actually just don't know the answer to that question yet and you know it's all about like building practices where we can feel in right and i really appreciate you joining uh me and the listeners today for this conversation more on like you know some of the things that you have learned along the way about you know feeling into desire and to like what's happening in your body and um and you know some of the ways that you work with other folks um in doing that and how that plays into like this world that we're trying to imagine ourselves into where we all get to actually just do that and be supported um so thank you so much for coming in um or being on the call i don't know it's a weird it's a weird thing in the internet space especially with this strange editing across time um but jess if you don't mind to wrap us up here uh can you please tell all the good people uh where they can go about finding you on the internet please oh yeah um on the internet my website is um belovedcoaching.net so b-e-l-o-v-e-d coaching.net um, and then the most active place I am on social media is Instagram and that's just at beloved coaching. So I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook, but they're, they're neglected. Excellent. Excellent. And can you tell the good people of listener land, uh, about your monthlies or twice monthlies, your mindful or out of grief events? I've done twice a month. I think this month I'm just doing one as a getting back into it, but typically twice a month <laughs> on a Wednesday and a Sunday, I do, it's called Mindful Erotic Grief, um, and it is at its most simplest form, a Zoom gathering of people who want to spend some time with their grief and not be alone um, with it. Um, with the invitation for pleasure to be present if it wants to be but really the question is like what does your body need in this moment what does your grief need in this moment and is it possible to give a little or a lot of that um, to the grief in your body so it's a sweet magical space involves people from all over music and sometimes orgasms. Yep, sometimes snacks, sometimes washing dishes, you know, <laughs> whatever needs to happen. Thanks again for coming. It's been great. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Imagination Revolution UBI. I'm Corey Doty. You can find more episodes of this show and more of what I do on the internet by going to my website, K-O-R-I-D-O-T-Y dot com. Uh, thanks again for listening. And if you want to support this work, uh, you can also find me on Patreon. Patreon, same name, K-O-R-I-D-O-T-Y. Thank you all so much for listening through the show. We'll come back soon.